Welcome, everybody, to Gameology episode 33. I'm one of your hosts, Matthew Favai. And I'm Attila Gabriel Brunetsky. On episode 33, we're talking all about rock, paper, scissors as a gameplay mechanic. Attila, you brought this topic up as you do most. Why is this topic important? So it's it's one of these odd things where I think a lot of people get really dismissive of games that use the sort of quote-unquote rock, paper, scissors, um, or some people might know uh, type advantage system in games like Pokemon. People say, oh, it's just rock, paper, scissors, fire beats grass, grass beats water, water beats fire, that's just kid stuff. And yet type advantages are present in like pretty much any game you play ever. It's just some are a little more subtle than others, and, you know, Effectively, it doesn't make a difference whether it's um, obscured or whether it's um, more visible to the player, like in Pokemon. It's a vital part of game design. I just think that um, people shouldn't try to ignore it or pretend that it's a bad thing that we shouldn't be using. Yeah, in a way, when you first brought it up, I was like, all right, let me put my brain on this. And I've been playing Breath of the Wild, and there, Mm -hmm. there are some areas where... Uh, elemental damage of certain types is in, is incredibly powerful and will will transform one enemy from being a bit of a nuisance to a one-shot assassin. And the way to combat that is with the proper armor or an elixir or a potion of some kind. And I was thinking, is that really, really fun? And at times I don't think it is because that's not a a reflex. That's a preparation. Putting on a jacket mm-hmm. because it's cold outside is not fun. It's just preparation, but where? But yeah, and I, I think yeah. Go ahead. Sorry. I was gonna say, but where where rock paper scissors becomes really interesting to me is when you have signaling, so that mm. if you're playing Punch Out or Dark Souls or a game yeah. or Street Fighter, a game where your yeah. opponent is going to do say a large attack, and you have that mm-hmm. window of time to do the proper counter. To me, that the quick, yeah, yeah. To me, that is uh, what makes rock paper scissors so important, and especially in competitive gaming. Right, and I, I think that like you, you sort of um, touched on the one of the sort of concepts I was going to mention is the idea that like um, rock paper, like type advantage, or just um, things that are uh, of unequal footing, like the the heavy attack, which is going to deal more damage but leaves you open to a certain amount of vulnerability, and then the quick attack, which can be used to counter that sort of thing. Like it's all sort of based on the fundamental root of this beats this, this beats this, this beats this, working around in at least a triangle. I mean, the, the the very sort of core idea of a game like Rock, Paper, Scissors is meant to be this, like, super basic thing which doesn't have any skill involved with it. It's just a way of, like, for lack of a coin toss, basically. But when you have um, different inputs and different execution that goes into... Um, actually pulling off those different maneuvers, that's when it gets much more interesting. Mm-hmm. It, well, yeah, because whereas Rock, Paper, Scissors is just a, a random whatever you're going to pull out, but it's um, a, a big game that has used a lot of uh, Rock, Paper, Scissors lately is Overwatch. And, and Yeah, yeah, exactly. And and what Overwatch has been doing really well is that um, because because you can switch on the fly and because you can switch up these strategies, you remove the element of a character being considered cheap or a strategy being overpowered. Because mm. if someone uses the same strategy over and over again and you know the counter, that's the thing with rock, paper, scissors, is the counters have to be known to be, mm-hmm. or they need to be reached in creative methods, which is very satisfying for the player. So 
you you make you punish anyone that uses the same strategy and being predictable by allowing a known counter to be used as a, as a defense. Yeah, and that's that's straight up rock paper scissors. When you see somebody using like the same thing multiple times in a row, <laughs> yeah. you switch up your strategy. Like Bart Simpson always in his mind, he says, "Nothing beats rock, good old rock." Um, and then you've got, um, I mean that that. That also creates strategies because of the rock, paper, scissors of what character in an Overwatch can beat another one. And mm. the large cast of them, this means that you can be very creative and you could have a five-member a five member team different from many other five-member teams that because mm. of the counters and the strengths, that allows uh, gamers to be creative and, and uh, it just it advances the strategy. Yeah, and I just like talking about uh, strategy. I recently got uh, Fire Emblem Heroes for mm. iOS. Um, I was always sort of interested in the Fire Emblem franchise, but I never had an opportunity to try one of the games. And this was a great opportunity to see like what a little sample of the game's like. I know everyone who's an actual Fire Emblem fan will say that this game's really dumbed down, but it's perfect for a mobile game. Mm-hmm. And they did the best sort of. You know, conversion possible is that since I've played this mobile game, I now want a more deep and com- complex version of it. Perfect. So I'm going to buy like Fire Emblem Awakening or something like that, um, which I heard was one of the great, uh, a good game to get started in with that series. Um, but the the game, uh, the whole Fire Emblem series, even though this game features a more simplified version of the uh, so-called weapons triangle that. Um, Swords beat axes, axes beat lances, and lances beat swords. And each of them has a sort of color associated with them, so you get the same, like, red, green, blue. Um, the Since every character you can see on the battlefield has one of those three weapon types, you'll know um, as you move your troops around the field, uh, I want to get my red sword wielder as close to their green axe wielder as possible. And in a way, it... It's like, yeah, it's sort of obvious, but it, it promotes a kind of strategic thinking of like, well, it's rather than just every single character just being simple and the same and just having higher or lower attack strats and that just, you know, it just becomes a numbers game anyway at that point. The feeling of knowing like, oh, my character is b- better against that character. What can I do to position them on the battlefield in such a way that they're likely to engage with one another? Yeah, then it becomes a lot uh, more similar to chess in that way where exactly, they have a yeah. lot of different movesets for each of the opponents. And and the ability to do to do drastically different results with the same, the same character... Whereas a yeah. someone who's a water can do so much more against this type than the other type. That is that's just like perfect for that kind of strategy game. Well, in a way, it's almost like um, a step. I'm not going to necessarily say a step up from chess, but it's in a sort of different um, sort of vein than chess because there are no type advantages in chess. Every single piece has its known move set, and you know one pawn isn't going to be better than another pawn. There aren't red, green, blue pawns that have different advantages or disadvantages from one another. Um, so the the game does the, the game would play out essentially just like chess if there were no type advantages but because there are type advantages then positioning on the battlefield becomes even more key and that's why like moving one troop um having one character like nudge somebody over by one grid space so that they end up closer to their established target and then they can move in for the kill like that's what makes the gameplay more appealing to me than just if I was to play like against AI chess on my phone yeah, that's true, and it's um, 
I mean, Banner Saga has been doing really well with that, and obviously Fire Emblem's been around for a long time. Uh, even yeah. on the more, um, that's a very traditional and easy way to do it in a strategy game like that. Mm-hmm. An interesting game I had thought about was uh, the the wrestling games for the N64 made by Aki okay. Games. These were my favorite wrestling games at the time, and they, they have the system where you can punch and you can grapple. Mm-hmm. And a mm-hmm. block blocks a punch, and a dodge dodges a grapple, but they will not work mm-hmm. on the other. So it becomes this okay. sort of fake-out game and then trying to catch the signal. And as an added layer, if you time it perfectly, then you will uh, get a reversal. So it's just a very very simplified version of that, but mm-hmm. the... Uh, playing that like local multiplayer, those are my favorite moments. Where it's that kind of like game of chicken and and psyching yeah. out opponents and the psychology of that. And it just became if you were if you had incredible timing, you were unstoppable. And I thought that that was what's been missing in almost every wrestling game since then. I, I can't say I would necessarily know. I haven't played any of those. The, the only kind of fighting game I've actually played is uh, Smash Brothers. So. Um, Smash Brothers isn't actually very much in the way of rock, paper, scissors gameplay. Just every character has such a like varied and unique moveset mm-hmm. that the different character abilities um, don't have this sort of strict one beats another because you'd never want one character to have a leg up on another character. Um, everything I've been talking about with the sort of Fire, Fire Emblem game works because you go into Fire Emblem Heroes with a team of four units. And you can have, you know, red, green, blue, archer, healer, whatever, as the fourth unit. But if you are going into a one versus one match, you don't want one character to strictly be better than another character. Mm-hmm. But in a way, I know the I know the the characters themselves in Smash wouldn't be considered a rock or a paper. But the mm-hmm. the move set in Smash Brothers that they all share in terms of like an attack or a special attack. Yeah, those those work in in essence. I mean a block is going to affect one of these better and I don't play a lot of smash but from what I remember it is it is based on that is it not I mean yeah that you do have the ability to like block and dodge between different attacks but um certain characters have overall slower move sets and certain characters have overall faster move sets and I think that it's an interesting question of balance as to whether or not the faster characters like historically faster characters have always been considered quote-unquote higher tier than lower um than slower characters just because if your opponent is winding up for a punch and you can just get in and jab them and interrupt their attack and you can just keep doing that at every single interval then you're going to rack up the damage on them even if your individual attacks don't do as much Mm -hmm. so i think smash is kind of an interesting um example of where the sort of type advantage stuff isn't used and it creates a compelling gameplay experience nonetheless. I just wanted to illustrate more the situations where uh, Rock, Paper, Scissors gameplay is used, um, perhaps even more subtly. Like, people don't think of Halo as a game that has type advantages because you're just, you're shooting bullets at each other. Mm -hmm. But um, in Halo, every character... Um, or I should say every player character, if you're playing multiplayer, has a layer of shielding and then an underlying amount of health. And one thing that they've always had in the Halo games is the human weapons which shoot bullets and the alien weapons which fire energy projectiles. And the energy projectiles have always been especially good at draining shields. And then the bullets um, are the ones that are effective against the underlying character health. So 
when you're uh, playing against somebody, your ideal sort of uh, weapon loadout would often be like you have one energy weapon to strip away the character's shields, and then you follow up with a something that fires bullets to take the character out. Okay, all right, and I mean every every character has access to both of these weapons in that sense. Yeah, well, they're they're sort of littered around the battlefield. Like the the reason it's sort of even is because at least in Halo Three and then the newest Halo Five, um, every character starts with the same weapon loadout. Okay. Uh, so you you all start with just bullet firing weapons, the sort of assault rifle and the pistol, and then you can like find weapons around the battlefield. Um, in fact, one of those sort of uh, dominant combinations became something called the plasma pistol, which could be charged up and fire a shot that would completely deplete someone's shields. Mm. And then you would have a precision weapon. Um, in spe- specifically in Halo 3, it was the battle rifle, which fired a very specific um, uh, shot. And so you, you would have the plasma pistol out, you'd knock off a character's shields, switch weapons to the battle rifle, and follow up with one shot to the head, and you'd kill the other person. You know what? I had not played that game, but I remember hearing about that. Just The noob combo. Yeah, yeah. that's right. Now, what you were mentioning about these uh these weapon types and yeah. them having sort of the built-in rock paper scissors there i think if you look back at say a game like quake which which has a, a you know a beautiful setup of weapons that some are more powerful but are slower moving mm-hmm. a railgun that's super powerful distance and is pretty weak up close if you don't know what you're doing yeah. with it and i feel like that that is obviously really important. It's it's a very effective way of making a, a fun, competitive, and balanced multiplayer shooter. The problem I find with a lot of games, modern games, is that game designers have been so enamored with the idea of progression because they know that that hooks mm-hmm. people. They saw the success of Modern Warfare, and we've never gotten away from it for for the most part. And it just feels like when I jump into a multiplayer shooter like Battlefront, and uh, I mean that game has plenty of flaws, and one of the main flaws is mm-hmm. that your starting gun is terrible. It's terrible. And there are some games where you jump in, and if you haven't been already playing for a couple of weeks, you're screwed. You don't yeah. have the jetpack that gets you around. And if you come up to somebody, and the rock, paper, scissors is that playing the game longer beats playing the mm-hmm. game day one, reflexes mm-hmm. aside. That's, that's it. not even rock, paper, scissors anymore. Yeah, that's just that's just unfair. That's just expo- yeah. exploitation, really. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's one of those things that... Um, now, when Halo 5 was coming out, it was actually advertising the fact that everyone has the same starting loadout. Like, now that's a selling feature, the fact that, hey, guys, multiplayer's balanced because everyone has access to the same weapons. How innovative. Yeah, no kidding. Um, but didn't Halo 5 have this um, sort of card system where you were... Yes, uh... there, were, there, were two com- there were two main modes in Halo 5. There was the arena, where everything was perfect and even balanced, and then there was Warzone, okay. where everything was insane and unbalanced, where you could just you know buy a bunch of cards and then call in power weapons and do whatever you wanted. Right, and, and then when you're playing that, I'm, I'm assuming you would feel a kind of pressure like, well, okay, if you're losing you're probably yeah. not going to be willing to spend any of these cards, right? So you kind of, mm-hmm. you make a choice as it's going down and then you think, well, screw it. This game's over. So I, I think that it would yeah. be, in a way, it could uh, just be a real slippery slope downwards where you might feel the pressure from someone in your team like, hey man, pitch in, use some mm-hmm. cards. 
I don't think it was a particularly elegant implementation. Like I think it was an interesting experiment, but it yeah, for for a lot of the reasons that you're describing like and there's people like me who like I just hoard rare stuff mm-hmm. and I never get the feeling of oh, I should really use this. I think it would have probably been much better like the problem is they wanted to tie this in with microtransactions, right? They wanted to people to buy card packs and all that sort of thing. I think it would have been much more interesting if you got these cards within a match because then you don't mm-hmm. have this feeling of, oh, I should save this for another match when I'm going to be doing better and I just want to steamroll the opponent. Um, if you're getting card packs inside of a match and then you're able to use those like that they've had they had a call down system like that in halo 4 and it's very similar to the kill perk system that was in the call of duty franchise um but keeping the rewards inside of a match would like incentivize people to um probably uh play and like use up their use their cards um like without hoarding them like i would do yeah exactly you want to have it's it's kind of a separate discussion Sure. Okay. Well, is there anything else you wanted to touch on in terms of RPS? Um, yeah. So if you've, uh, I just wanted to do, like mention one other example of like how you might see um, type advantage used in like a real time strategy game. Um, if you would be uh, able to produce, like in the Command and Conquer franchise, you could produce infantry units, aircraft units, and um, uh, like vehicles and tanks and that sort of stuff. And again, they have this like different weapon types in the series, like. Um, infantry that shoot um, bullets at each other, so bullets are always good against infantry because they can just mow them down. Um, then you have tanks, which have the obviously the anti-armor weapons, which are good against other tanks. But then you have vehicles that have like chain guns, and the, then you have vehicles that are good against infantry. And similarly, you could have infantry that have rockets, and the rockets are good against armor um, and aircraft, for that matter. So just by sort of setting these um, kind of base types and then having weapon types layered on top of them, you can create this kind of shift of armor that's good against armor or armor that's good against infantry or armor that's good against aircraft. And then you have infantry, which are good against other infantry or infantry that are good against armor. And like having the sort of two, not, not exactly triangles, but these... Um, different advantages and disadvantages layered on top of each other. Um, I think that's more than anything the kind of uh, type advantage gameplay that people like to see. So, um, you know, Fire Emblem, I think the core game does a bit more in that sort of vein of having like um, not just the sort of red, green, blue, but uh, magic wielders are better against um, like armored characters. Like they have a really high defense, but really low resistance to magic and that kind of thing. Um, you know, far more than uh, Pokemon does in that sort of sense, that Pokemon is like the epitome of just rock, paper, scissors type advantage. But again, you're going into Pokemon with, uh, I think competitive teams are like three characters. And, you know, there's there's such a huge rock, paper, scissors network going on in Pokemon that having three different characters to choose from still makes it an interesting choice. So I guess the uh, sort of... The moral of the story for this episode is like, don't be dismissive of type advantage or rock, paper, scissors gameplay. Don't think of it as being too kiddy. You know, just acknowledge it for the strategy that it is. And um, game developers don't shy away from using it. 
There's one one point I wanted to touch on when you were talking about RTS. <clears throat> Do you not find okay. that with the real-time strategy game, it eventually becomes a little too similar to the in-real-life game of RTS because you are... Like when you're okay, when you're playing Fire Emblem and I can see your pieces and you can see mine, and then yeah. it becomes this turn based uh standoff where, yeah, where the moves are visible and in a, in a sense you can have a signaling process. But when you're mm -hmm. playing an RTS and there's a fog of war, mm -hmm. um, I guess well, that encourages scouting and that makes that an entire part mm -hmm. of the game because without that then you're just sort of guessing and you're just throwing them yeah. out there. And is, is it better to have just an overwhelming force of, say, tanks that do one thing? Is it mm -hmm. better to have a completely um, separate, like 25% of, of every type so you can handle everything? Would 25% be enough to take out 100% of their, of like an equal force? Or, I mean, like I mentioned, scouting becomes so important. Maybe faking yeah. faking out your opponent becomes a good strategy. You can send, you know, one one enemy type in to try to scare them and have them build up another one. So, mm -hmm. I guess I answered my own question with yeah. scouting. <laughs> All right. Well, that's going to do it. Thanks for bringing up this topic, Taylor, and sharing your thoughts on that. Game sure. designers out there, let's see some more RPS in your games. Uh, my name has been Matthew Fava and will continue to be. You can find me on Twitter at GameThinkTalk. And Attila? You can find me on Twitter at BluishGreenPro and check out my website, BluishGreenProductions.com. Thanks, everybody. If you've enjoyed the episode and you know somebody who might, share it with them. It really helps. Bye for now. Thanks. Bye-bye.